our reading is taken from John chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 43. Um, that's page 1067. So verse 43. After the two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So walking along uh, Brighton Seafront yesterday, didn't see this sign up, the weather wasn't up for it, was it? But uh, generally, in the summer, if you walk along Brighton Seafront, you're going to see lots of signs uh, telling you uh, where it's safe to swim uh, and telling you when the lifeguards are on duty uh, and what you have to do uh, to keep safe. And we take notice of those signs, don't we? They're important. Well, that passage Gillian's just read to us, right at the end, verse 54, John tells us that this story, this account of what Jesus has been up to, is a sign. And it's a sign, actually, that's very similar to this sign. It's a sign telling us that there's a lifeguard on duty. It's a sign that tells us how to stay safe. So, if you've got your Bibles handy, we're on page uh, 1067, uh, and we can see uh, whether you agree with me and whether that's what this sign really is. Um, I saw the lifeguards go into action a little while ago uh, on a stormy day, uh, and the one thing I noticed, well, lots of things I noticed, but one thing for sure is they didn't stop to check about the person in the water. They didn't stop to say, well, do you think we should save them? Or are they the right sort of person to save? Or anything like that. They just dived in. Didn't matter who it was. Someone needed saving, and the lifeguards go in and save them. And that's one of the first things that struck me about this reading uh, when I looked at it. I think John wants us to absolutely get that Jesus came for everyone and that everyone needs Jesus. Two sides of the same coin, aren't they? Jesus comes for everyone and everyone needs him. Maybe to get a sense of that, we need to look back. If we look back into um, the previous chapter, 
of the earlier part of this chapter, verses 1 to 26, we got the passage there about the, the, the Samaritan woman. Um, so we just go back to there to get a little bit of context. Um, because in that passage, Jesus has gone from Judea up to Galilee. He has to pass through Samaria. And, and Phil was talking about this, wasn't he? And he was saying that Samaria was a really sort of no-go area for the, for the Jewish folk. Um, almost a bit like Gaza might be now for Israel. It's just somewhere you wouldn't want to go. They were people of a different nation by now, a, a mixed race. And this person that Jesus is talking to, this woman, she's clearly not very well off. She's fetching water for herself. There's no, no servants involved. Uh, she's a woman. That's pretty bad news in, the, in those days, in that, that situation. Um, and she's clearly, we don't really know, she's either a, a sex worker of some sort or she's been used by men in some way because she's on her sixth man. And I would imagine with that sort of history, we don't know, but I would have thought emotionally, mentally, she's not in a good place either. I don't know. Seems likely, doesn't it? And Jesus comes and spends time with this person who is... It's completely off the scale in people's eyes, I guess, in terms of social standing. People would have thought she was the absolute dregs of society. But what does Jesus do? He comes to this lady and he offers her streams of living water, doesn't he? He offers her eternal life. Well, that's been the last couple of weeks we've been looking at that. Fast forward to this week and we've got a completely different situation, haven't we? Um, Verse 43 tells us that Jesus is now back in his home territory. He's back in Cana, uh, in Galilee, where he's come from. Uh, And then in verse 47, uh, this official turns up. Um, It's it's an odd Greek word. It kind of translates as um, uh, as kingly senior service, senior civil service person. It's a sort of bit of an odd, odd phrase. And it's difficult to equate, uh, perhaps, with uh, what we now know. But this is someone who presumably worked in the palace of Herod Antipas. And he was fairly senior there. Now, Herod Antipas, uh, if you if you watch, ever seen Jesus Christ Superstar, probably quite a good idea of what Herod Antipas uh, was like. This isn't the Herod who kills the babies in Bethlehem, uh, but he is the Herod who executes John the Baptist. And he is the Herod who will interrogate Jesus uh, later on. So this man works uh, in that environment, uh, but he's quite senior. So on the one hand, I've got the Samaritan woman, poor, looked down on. On the other hand, I've got this civil servant, senior manager type creature, person, probably quite powerful, quite well off, He's got his servants, probably feeling pretty safe, pretty secure. Good job with a a strong boss. So what do these two have in common? Because apparently they have nothing in common, do they? Well, of course they do, and I think that's what John wants us to see. They both need Jesus. They both need to meet Jesus Christ. Neither of them probably thought that. Certainly that woman at the well probably never dreamt that she needed Jesus. This man probably 
had not thought he needed Jesus. Everything was fine. Until, of course, tragedy strikes. His boy, is described as a child, so it's a young boy, falls ill. And in those days, if a doctor uh, came to visit someone and they were sick uh, and they couldn't treat it, they would simply say, this is an illness that ends in death. That's it. That's the words this man would have heard. doctor would have been to see him, looked at his boy and said, there's only one end for this and it's going to be death. What a, what a dreadful situation uh, to be in. So there's this family, they're facing this huge trauma. And even though this man really can't have known very much about Jesus, can he? He can only have heard about him a little bit from what happened uh, down in Jerusalem. But even that is enough to say, I need to go and find Jesus in this situation. My situation is now so bad, it drives me to go and find Jesus. Now, I don't think it's the main point of this passage, but there is a little aside here, isn't there, about suffering and illness. We often ask, don't we, well, if we have a God of love, why do we have suffering, why do we have illness? It's something we're going to look at in Small Group Central uh, before we get to Christmas. But the fact is that those situations, they do drive us to the Lord, don't they? They drive us to our knees, rather like this man. And they bring us to Jesus. Now, we don't always see the results that we're going to see in this story, but undoubtedly, these sort of situations do draw us closer to God. But the main point doesn't seem to be that, really. The main point seems to be that John is showing us that it doesn't matter who we are, it doesn't matter whether we're this sort of high official with a comfortable job or this woman in Samaria, only Jesus can give us life and we all need, at some point, to come to Jesus for that life. I think it's interesting, we don't know the name, do we? We don't know the name of the woman, and we don't know the name of this man. And I suspect that's quite deliberate. John must have known them, he was there. But it seems to be almost deliberate, so that we don't uh, equate it with people, but we see them as examples to follow. So whatever our situation, we need to turn to Jesus. See, no one is so bad, or no one feels so bad, that they are beyond the end, of, beyond Jesus' reach. And equally, nobody's actually so clever, so bright, so intellectual, so well-paid that they can manage without Jesus. I notice if you go down the road to um, the, what's it, Sackville Road, over there, you go past All Saints, and All Saints have got a big sign outside their church. And it basically tells you, in quite a few lines, uh, that they are an inclusive church, that everybody is welcome. And you know they're quite right. I wonder whether we should have the same sign outside here. Because that is the church of Christ. Everybody is welcome. Jesus Christ is inclusive. Now of course, following Jesus involves repentance, it means changes in our lives very often, but he offers life to everyone. We all need him doesn't matter our situation, doesn't matter about our sexual orientation, doesn't matter whether you're a Brexiteer or whether you're a Remainer, it just doesn't matter to Jesus. It's about as significant to him as whether you like Marmite or not, frankly. Jesus came for everyone 
and we all need him. Well, that's all very well. That's great news. But how? How, we, how does Jesus work? How does he save us? And if we look a bit more into this passage, we begin to see what, how. So, verse 47, we see the official setting off from his home. Um, so, presumably he went on Google Maps. He worked out his route. Um, so, there it is for you. Uh, about seven and a half hours walking, according to Google, depending which route you go. Um, so, he travelled for a whole day. And presumably he left his wife behind, sitting by the boy's bedside. What a difficult thing that must have been. I think I'm not necessarily going to see my boy again. I'm going to leave my wife or whatever behind with him. And I'm going on just trusting that Jesus will be able to help. And I suppose with all that emotion behind it, it's why it says in verse 47, he begs Jesus to come. You can imagine him on his knees. He begs him to come and do something. And Jesus says two things in response which seem a bit surprising. Firstly, he makes this rather cryptic comment about signs and wonders. He says, you people only believe if you see signs and wonders. And of course, the people from Galilee, from Jerusalem, had seen Jesus doing miracles. They'd heard about them. They they seemed to have followed him up. Some of them would have been at the wedding in Cana. They'd seen the water changed into wine, presumably. Um, and now here is the man asking him to come and do another miracle. And the people say, yeah, we want to see this. This is going to be really exciting. And Jesus steps right back and says, do you know, I don't even need to be there. He's saying, it's not about what I do. It's about who I am. He wants us to absolutely get that we trust Jesus for who he is rather than the fact that he can perform miracles or do something exciting or we can have wonderful spiritual experiences. So when the man asks again to come and heal his boy, he simply says, go. Your son's all right. Jesus' word is sufficient. It's very, very simple, isn't it? It's very, very undramatic. In fact, this whole conversation probably would have only lasted about 45 seconds, wouldn't it? Less than a minute you can get this little conversation into. And John says it's a sign, but it wasn't much of one, was it? If we'd all been watching, we'd have hardly even noticed. No excitement, no razzmatazz. Simply, Jesus speaks and life follows. Now, this is not a dead cat. I know the Wilkins are still grieving their cat. Maybe others are as well, so I'm sorry if this is a sensitive picture. But this cat is not dead. But, did you hear recently, Boris Johnson had been recommended to slam a dead cat on the table. You know, when everything's going wrong, when you want to create a diversion, do something really dramatic. And apparently the, the analogy is, put a dead cat on the table. Put people off. Jesus does not put a dead cat on the table in this miracle. In fact, he doesn't ever do that, but um, in this miracle, he certainly doesn't. Because what he's saying is that can be a distraction. Just as this is a distraction, he says, I don't want any distractions from who I really am. Jesus brings life. He doesn't even have to be with a boy. He works through his spirit, and that's all there is to it. And the official gets it. The official understands that. Look at verse 50. He took Jesus at his word and departed. And that's it. 
he leaves. What that official did is exactly what we are asked to do still. We really don't need any more than Jesus and all we need to do is to trust in what he says and what he's done. And there's a bit about this passage that warns us about relying too much on miracles and and super spiritual experience. We read, we sang just now about faith moving mountains. And Jesus tells us faith can move mountains. And sometimes we say, well, there's this mountain I want to move and it hasn't moved. Sometimes we're encouraged to to, uh, pray for healing. We're encouraged to enjoy and use the gifts of the Spirit. And we get excited perhaps about the more spectacular ones. Uh, healing, prophecy, and speaking in tongues. Now, these are all good things. These are all gifts that we should be enjoying. But Jesus is telling us to keep those, if you like, in the right place. All that is needed for our salvation is simply, it's very simple, it's trust in Jesus. We don't need to worry if we don't see these dramatic experiences in our lives. Because the most important thing is trusting in Jesus. There's a little story, well it's quite a long story, back in the Old Testament, some of you will know it, uh, from two kings. Uh, there's an Aramean general, Aramea was sort of come on the age of Syria in those days, uh, and he has leprosy. And, and he comes to see Elisha, the prophet of God, uh, and uh, he says, I want to be healed. And Elisha says, that's alright, go and dunk yourself in the river Jordan here seven times. And he gets in such a strop. He says, excuse me, I'm a very important person. I would expect a proper healing ceremony. I would expect miracles. I would expect to to go and wash in a proper river back in Syria or Damascus, not your manky little stream down the road. Well, you can read it in Two Kings, what happens in the end. But Naaman had to learn the same lesson as John is giving us here. That all that is required is simple trust in God. We don't need signs and wonders to assure us of our salvation. And in fact, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus says there's only one sign you really need. And that's the sign of the cross. When Jesus dies on the cross and he rises again, that, Jesus says, is the very simple, the very plain sign that death is conquered And life is to be found in the Lord Jesus. So that's all we need. Nothing more. Nothing less. Well, the question then is, well, what do we do? What are we to do? Well, that's very simple, isn't it? We are to believe. That's what John wants us to do. But the fact is that not everybody simply believes just like that. I think if you look at old films of things like Billy Graham Crusades and stuff like that, or you go to some churches, you see amazing things of people coming to faith and people suddenly believing, and it's all very dramatic again. But actually, that is not most of our experience, isn't it? It certainly wasn't mine. For many of us, it takes time. It takes time to fully commit to the Lord Jesus. And that seems to be a reason that this story is here about how the Lord Jesus works. Because there's a sort of pilgrim's progress in this, uh, in this story. Look, what, look with me at the verses. Verse 47, 
we can see that this guy's heard enough about Jesus to go and look for him. Verse 49, he's talking to Jesus. He's actually got enough confidence to begin to argue with Jesus, hasn't he? He goes back at him when he seems to be dismissed. And by verse 50, he's taking Jesus at his word. Just walking away and trusting him. And then you get to verse 53. Verse 53, where he asks his servants what time the boy got better and realises that it's exactly the time when Jesus spoke. And that seems to clinch it for him, doesn't it? That seems to be the moment, if you like, when you would say his faith is really rooted, it's really grounded. When he sees what's happened to his son, he believes in Jesus. That is, if you like, when he becomes a Christian, if you want to use that sort of language. It's interesting too, isn't it, that he's looking for an answer to his prayer. He's prayed to Jesus. He doesn't then just go home and assume that his boy's going to get better. He doesn't write it off as a coincidence. He tests with his servants. He's looking to see where Jesus has answered his prayer. John Bunyan said it was, I think this was quite a strong word, but never mind. He said it was one of the greatest abominations in his life that he had not looked enough to see where God had answered his prayers. Which quite challenged me, actually, when I thought that, because I thought, how often we pray and we move on? Well, this man didn't, did he? He looked to see how God had answered his prayers. So his faith grows uh, and it develops. And that may be where you are, maybe where many of us are. We may be, as it were, on a journey. And if that is you, then, then be encouraged. The Bible says that Jesus is not going to put out a flickering candle. He doesn't snuff it out. If there's a little bit of faith in our lives, Jesus will allow that to grow. We're not always going to see dramatic conversions. But just as in, as in this story, as we learn to trust Jesus, faith will grow and he will bring life. And that gets us to the end of the story, doesn't it? Verse 53, where this man then tells his whole household. And the whole household believed. That can't have been easy. You're an official in Herod's palace, Herod who doesn't like John the Baptist, John the Baptist who's talking all about Jesus, and here you are, uh, quite a senior person, suddenly telling everybody about Jesus. I reckon that was a brave thing to do. But it doesn't seem to stop him, does it? Life comes to this man, and life flows from this man into the people around him. And we started this morning saying, actually, Jesus came for everybody, didn't he? He's come for the rich and the well-off, and he's come for the poor. That means he's come for everybody. This is Jaw Street. It's the only picture I could find of a cafe in Jaw Street. Not sure about Cafe Nero, but never mind. Jesus has come for everybody sitting in George Street. He's come for your neighbour. He's come for the people you work with. I mean, look at this official, and he's been given life, and he sort of passes it on, doesn't he? So, for those of you who are Christians here, how much of that have you done in your own lives? This last week, how many people have you even mentioned Jesus to? Maybe this week's a bit tough. What about last year, month? Where are we? November. It's November. Hmm. 
bit tricky. What about this year? How many people, my mic's coming off, this year, how many people have you mentioned Jesus to? This man comes to faith and he gets on with it. I think we find that really, 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 really difficult, don't we? We really do. But if this man could do it, there's no reason why we can't uh, as, as well. We need to perhaps copy him a bit more. But let's get back. The main point of the passage, Jesus wants, John wants us to remember that Jesus has come for everybody and everybody needs Jesus. And that simply trusting in him is all that we need to have eternal life. It really is that simple. Jesus loves us. He dies for us. John says Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And when we believe that, we have life in his name. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you call everyone. Help us to trust in you. Help our faith to grow. And help us to tell others all about you too. Amen.